Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing well this morning? Awesome. Awesome. I don't know about you, but that song makes me want to dance every time it comes on. I'll spare you. My wife has asked that I don't dance this morning. But it's good to see you. It is Sunday morning again. I've been looking forward to it all week. So it's good to see you here. Um, hey, we're in a series called Uphill Habits. I'm really excited about it. Last week, Pastor Jason started us off, so I am looking forward to continuing in that this morning. Uh, I do want to say thank you so much to Pastor Jason and Jen for the opportunity to share. Get me all choked up. <laughs> These guys mean so much to me and my wife. It's just an honor to be a part of everything that's going on here. Pastor Jason, actually, his flight got delayed this morning, so he's not here with us yet. You may see him burst in in the back, but he's on his way back. He wanted to be with you, but he sends his love. Uh, also, I wanted to say thank you to my wife, Gabby, for bearing with me this week while I've been studying. Um, for those of you that don't know, my wife and I uh, get the incredible opportunity to serve here at Sozo Church as the associate pastors, and it is a blast. We love being a part of this community. Uh, and I wouldn't be doing my fatherly duty if I didn't show you a picture of our adorable firstborn son, Luca. There he is, there he is, I know, I know, he is adorable. He's actually cuter in person, but he's upstairs uh, probably having more fun than us in the kids area, so we'll have to do with just the photo today, um, but he sends his love as well. Um, so we're in a collection of talks entitled Uphill Habits. Uh, if, so if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 4? I see quite a few digital Bibles, so I should probably say tap with me to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Uh, we're going to read that in just a bit so you can hold there. Uh, but before we get started, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the incredible morning that we've had already and for this beautiful family that you've assembled this morning. God, we believe that you have a word for each and every one of us. So God, we ask that you would just open our hearts this morning. God, let us be open to receiving what it is that you're speaking to each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. So last week, Pastor Jason began our Uphill Habits uh, collection, and he talked about the power of habits. You know, so often as we get to the beginning of a new year, many of us are considering ways that we can improve upon our lives, and so the power of habits are something we're thinking about very, very often. Uh, he also talked about habit number one, the habit of putting God first in our lives. You know, so often we hear the idea of putting God first as it relates to our finances, um, but it was great to hear the idea that putting God first in our lives can mean so many different areas. It can be putting God first in our schedule, how we manage our time and priorities, how we lead our families, how we build out our relationships. And so that was super encouraging. And we're actually going to be continuing that this week. We will be talking about the habits of healthy relationships habits of healthy relationships. If you were thinking about taking notes this morning, but you weren't sure how to tackle that blank page, writing down the title is a great way to start. The Habits of Healthy Relationships. Today, we are talking about relationships. Uh, have you ever typed something into Google, not because you actually wanted the results, but you were curious to see what Google auto-completes, like what it recommends for you? I, I do that a lot, actually. I've been caught multiple times by my wife just typing in like half of a phrase. I love it because it gives you this little glimpse of what are other people curious about, right? Like it's kind of helps you normalize, like am I the only one that doesn't know this or are other people asking this question as well? And so like any good millennial would, today as I was prepping for our service, I went to Google and I typed in relationships are the, and then I just left it. 
And so these were some of the results that I got. I, I think you'll like them. It's pretty telling. Relationships are the key to happiness. Wow, that's lofty. Uh, number two was relationships are the key to success. I, I like that. That's pretty cool. Number three was relationships are the currency of power. I think it's clear, like, we have a lot of expectations of relationships. And then the fourth one, relationships are the worst. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, it, it's pretty obvious, I think it's safe to say, that we put a lot of stock in relationships, both for the uphill beliefs that we have and also... Uh, they can be a source of pain if they're not a good, healthy, stable relationship. And I believe that it's important for us to learn how to build those healthy relationships because they have such an influence on our lives. So if we want to learn about healthy relationships, then I believe that the best way for us to start is by seeing what the Bible has to say about that. So if you would turn to that scripture in Ecclesiastes that we talked about earlier, we'll read that and get started. It says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 7, I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man who is all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. Does that sound familiar in the Bay Area? But then he asked himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. Two are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. I think it's pretty clear the Bible sees a special significance on the idea of doing life in relationship with others. Not just romantic relationships, but friendships, camaraderie, community. There is strength in relationships. So if it's okay with you, I would actually like to start off our time a little uh, non-traditional. Uh, if you're familiar with any type of public speaking classes or training, you know that uh, there is this idea that before you begin sharing with someone, you should establish credibility. Um, the thought is that if I share with you some of my impressive accolades or previous accomplishments, then perhaps you'll be more likely to view me as a trusted source of information, so you'll pay attention to what I have to say. Um, and the other thought would be that if I can get you laughing in the first 90 seconds or so, then you'll like me, uh, you'll think I'm a funny guy, you'll let your guard down, and you'll pay attention to what it is that I have to say. Um, if it's okay with you, I, I'm going to break both of those rules right now. Um, so I want to tell you a little bit about sort of my background. Um, to start off, uh, I was a homeschooler. I grew up in a family of five, and I believed all of these characteristics throughout my life might actually inhibit me from talking about something like relationships like this. But I think it's important that you understand. I was a homeschooler. I grew up in South Louisiana. I was the oldest of five siblings. Uh, my mom homeschooled all five of us. And so what that means is that up until the day that I began my college education, my entire formal education happened in our family living room. Now, I'm not mad about that. I'm actually very thankful for some of the things that afforded me. But if you've ever met a homeschool family, you know it can produce some interesting personalities. <laughs> Just saying. So on top of the homeschool thing, uh, I was also a little bit nerdy. Um, I know it. It's okay. Uh, my parents, my poor parents, gosh. I think uh, I was talking to my parents a while back. They said one of my first phrases um, as I started to string together words was, well, actually... 
They, they knew right away that this kid's going to be a nerd. Um, so you've got the homeschool thing. I'm a little nerdy. Um, and then get this. These were my three big childhood hobbies. It just is not good. Um, piano competitions. You make a lot of friends like that. Um, let's see. Piano competitions. I was super into playing chess. You don't win a lot of friends that way. And then the third one is probably the best one yet. I was crazy about learning yo-yo tricks. So why, why does all this awkwardness matter? Well, what I'm trying to get across is this. I'm not talking to you this morning as a relationship guru. In fact, much of my past life led me to a spot that would not have brought me to a spot where I'd have anything to share on this. But I have found myself in quite a few really healthy relationships. So they weren't intentional on my part in the beginning, but over time I've realized that there are characteristics about these healthy relationships that you can be intentional about inserting into your existing relationships, whether that's a romantic relationship, a friendship, your group of friends, or even something in your group of coworkers. And by inserting these characteristics into your healthy relationships, you can ensure, into your existing relationships, you can ensure that they continue to go stronger and healthier. So we're just reverse engineering what worked for me. Take this as you may. The habits of healthy relationships are really no different than any other habit, as we talked about last week. Um, it's really no different than a person maybe who's physically fit. It's uh, pretty easy to look at their physical fitness and see it as something that oh, they were born with. Uh, it must be nice to have that. Um, but the truth is, that that we see in a physically fit person is just the result of a series of habits that they've put into place. And we're getting to see the long-term results. Those washboard abs, uh, they didn't happen by themselves. But how often is it that we get frustrated that we're not in shape like this person when we're not willing to implement the habits that they've put in place? So what are these habits? Well, let's dive into it. Habit number one is loyalty. Loyalty. Proverbs 17.17 says this, A friend is always loyal, and a brother is born to help in time of need. A friend is always loyal, and a brother is born to help in time of need. Okay, by a show of hands... How many here made a New Year's resolution this year? Maybe you call them goals or... Um, I know quite a few people set uh, a theme word for the year, a focus that they're going to spend some time on. Um, that all counts. The idea is that you've made a commitment with yourself that you want to improve a certain area of your life this year, right? I get it. I'm in that same boat. Um, today is the 21st of January, so we're three weeks into the year. Be honest, this is a safe place. How many of you three weeks in, have fallen a little short on one of those goals or resolutions. It's okay, safe space. I'm in the same boat as you. The truth is, we make these commitments with a goal in mind. We want to see the fruit of that. And although there's no shame in it, the truth is that it's our human nature to reevaluate those commitments as the circumstances around us change, right? So maybe you made a commitment to eat healthier as you were pushing away from the dining room table at Christmas, realizing you had had just one too many pieces of pie, maybe two too many pieces. You were serious. You made that commitment. You wanted to see some change in your life. But the circumstances around your life change. You go back to work. You get into the daily grind. Lunchtime comes, and your favorite burrito place is calling your name. Was the commitment not real? No, the commitment was real. But the circumstances have changed, and you begin to question that commitment. Or maybe you know someone who's going through a tough time in their marriage. Most of the time, if we could rewind back to the beginning of a relationship, we would see a couple that is madly in love. They're crazy about each other, and they're excited to jump into this lifelong commitment with each other. Was that commitment not real? Oh, it was real. 
But over time, the circumstances around that commitment begin to change. And you begin, if you're not careful, to view that commitment in light of the new circumstances. So commitment's great. In fact, I really believe that commitment is required to start any type of relationship. You're not gonna get very far without some skin in the game, without showing who you truly are. But commitment alone is not enough, right? I believe that what's really impressive is loyalty. See, commitment will make us commit to an idea, but without some loyalty to that commitment, things will fall away as things begin to change. This verse in Proverbs, I believe, is talking about exactly that. It says, a friend is loyal and a brother is born in time of need. Uh, The NIV version says, a brother is born to help in times of adversity. Well, what does that tell you? Our relationships are gonna go through adversity. They will. Sometimes you'll go through that together. Maybe that friend, you, you guys are not, uh, not exactly getting along. Maybe it's something in your marriage, just not seeing eye to eye. Friends disagree, marriages can struggle. Loyalty says, I made a commitment in the good times and we're gonna stick this out together in the tough times. The initial commitment isn't enough to save that friendship. It's gonna take some loyalty to get through that hard time. But sometimes that adversity might happen to just one of you. That's when the loyalty actually really shines. The friend's having a tough day at work. Maybe they've come across some financial hard times. And you have to be the one to show that loyalty, to extend the understanding. Either way, this friend is not contributing the way that they used to when this friendship began. Uh, But loyalty says, you know what? I'm gonna stick with you through this tough time. Here's why I think loyalty is such a critical part of a healthy relationship. Because one of these days, you're gonna be the one going through adversity. And you're gonna need that brother, that friend, that spouse, the group of people that's around you to stand next to you patiently and say, we've got this. We're gonna stick this through together with you. The thing is, we give loyalty in healthy relationships because we need loyalty in our own lives. We were designed with a need for loyalty and God intended for us to find that in healthy relationships. So, habit number two, vulnerability. Carl Rogers was a psychologist in the 1900s, and he believed this. He believed for a person to grow, they need an environment that provides them with these three distinct things. Genuineness, which he defined as openness and self-disclosure, the ability to be open. Acceptance, which he defined as being seen with unconditional positive regard. And then the third was empathy, being defined as being listened to and understood. Without these, he believed that relationships would not develop as they were intended. Much like a tree would not grow without water and air, Rogers believed that a person, if they achieved these three things, that self-actualization would happen, and a person could become the full intended version of themselves. I think that Rogers was on to something that God already showed us in the book of James. So in James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another so that you may be healed. When I first read that, I actually had to go back over it because it it doesn't quite line up with what I was thinking. Therefore, confess your sins to God. No, to one another. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The idea is that God doesn't say confess your sins to the people around you because they have the power to heal you. No, I think he says because when we confess our sins, as we begin to take off that mask of perfection, as we begin to let ourselves truly be known, to be seen by those people around us, uh, that creates this safe space. And in that safe space, that's where the true healing can happen. 
healing from the past pains of rejections or feeling excluded, feeling lonely. That healing process begins when we can begin being open and vulnerable with the people around us. But that vulnerability does so much more than just providing space for our healing. One of my favorite stories about my wife uh, is at the very beginning of our relationship, we had actually been friends for many years before this. We had gotten connected through some mutual friends around the church. Um, but this is sort of the story of how our relationship went to the next level. Um, both of us were a part of a church where we're from back in Louisiana. And we were helping out this one summer putting together a summer camp for the students that were in part of the church. And so for a couple of weeks, we were part of a team putting together things for production and lighting and design and all of that. And so what that meant is that we spent a lot of time together um, in a concentrated period of time. So we'd been spending some time together, and then we head down to, uh, this summer camp was actually in Florida, so we're heading down to the beach with the crew that was setting up for the summer camp, trying to get ready for the students to get there the next day. So one night, we had been setting up at the venue, prepping, prepping for the students to get there, and we decided to go find some food. One thing you should know about our relationship is that my wife is actually a pretty bad passenger, so she always drives. She just, that's just what we've accepted now. At this point, I didn't realize it. I thought she just didn't trust me driving, but I now know she doesn't trust any of you driving. She <laughs> needs to drive. So she's driving. I'm sitting in her car. We're going to find some food. I, I don't even know if we actually found anything that night. Oh, Buffalo Wild Wings. That's right. That's right. Um, that has also been a trend that's continued through our relationship. Uh, so we got some Buffalo Wild Wings, and I think we were heading back to the hotels where everyone was staying. And uh, she did something that I was not expecting. She pulled off the road, I think maybe just like on, on the side of the beach. We're just kind of looking over the waves, super romantic. And uh, she stopped the conversation. She looked at me and she said, well, I like you. <laughs> and I think I'd like for us to be more than friends. Uh, is that something you would like? <laughs> that was it. She, I was blown away. Like, aside from not being what you would typically expect in a dating relationship, I was just so impressed at how open and vulnerable she was. She just pulled the car over and said, well, I like you. Do you like me? And, of course, I quickly put her at ease. Yes, I do. I didn't want her to think about it too long. Um, but it was so impressive to me that she wasn't interested in playing games or doing this typical dance back and forth, see if someone says something. She just was vulnerable and open. And I really believe that that's been one of the things that's helped us through some tough times in our life because from that point forward, we have learned that we can be that open and vulnerable place for each other. But it doesn't have to happen just in a romantic relationship. Uh, I actually have these two friends. These guys are some of my best friends in the entire world. Um, if you knew all three of us, you would know the three of us are completely different from one another. Uh, different styles, different ages. We're in different stages of life. Uh, currently, we actually live in three different states all around the country. Um, and the truth is, we don't even get to spend that much time together these days. But these guys know me. They get me. You probably have had a friend like this at some point in your life. They're the friend that, even though they're miles away, they can see something on your social media, and they'll give you a call and be like, what the heck is this? What's going on? They can spot something in your life. They see your blind spots, and they can explain it to you in a way that is safe and comforting, but at the same time brings some correction. That is these guys. And although we may be different people, I know I have a safe place to process my wife would tell you there have been many nights over the course of our marriage where I've been having trouble with something at work or with another friendship or a family issue. 
And I've spent two hours on the phone walking around outside. I pace when I talk on the phone. Just walking around outside talking to one of these two guys. Not because they're in the, the situation with me, but because for one reason or another, they get me and I have found that safe place there. It's not always the most comfortable thing to step out into that, but I promise you when you find that place where you can be vulnerable and open up to a community, there's so much safety in that spot. To really let someone know the real you can be uncomfortable, but it is one of the keys of healthy relationships. Habit number three is empathy. In 1 Corinthians 12, 26, it says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Paul says it like this in Romans 12, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. I actually really like the NLT version. It's just straight to the point. He says, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who are weep. Who weep. I think it's pretty straightforward. He's he's saying, you gotta get in the trenches with people. You can't just see from afar and say like, oh, I'm glad you're happy. No, be happy with people who are happy and weep with people who weep. And that's not sympathy, that's empathy. Teresa Wiseman was a nursing scholar I found some research from. She studied a broad spectrum of empathy-based professions. She defines empathy as having these four qualities. I, found, like, I felt like it was pretty interesting. She said empathy has these qualities. One is perspective-taking, the ability to see the world as others see it, to recognize that their perspective is truth for them. The second is avoiding judgment, which, if we're honest, is not our natural instinct. We like to judge people. Uh, Third would be recognizing emotion, to truly understand the emotion that another person is feeling. And then the fourth would be communicating it, sharing that with them, sharing your understanding. The way that she says it is that empathy is feeling with people, not feeling for someone. I'm sorry that you're feeling bad. Empathy is climbing down into that pit with them and saying, I feel that too, and I'm sorry. Rarely does an empathic response begin with the phrase, well, at least. See, we often try to find silver linings, but that doesn't always help. Uh, The idea is that we want to try to shine a light on the positive side of it, but rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is a connection, a connection with another person. The opposite of empathy is apathy, and that's our natural tendency oftentimes when things don't go our way. We try to stick to a commitment, but the other person in the relationship isn't holding up their end of the deal. We get hurt. It's pretty easy for the response to be like, it's fine, I don't care. I'm just gonna back away slowly. The Apostle Paul is encouraging empathy when he tells the fellow Christians to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. What's interesting to me is that the habit of empathy is actually a habit that enables the previous two that we talked about. Loyalty, you've made a commitment to someone and they're not holding up their side of the friendship. Empathy helps you to understand what they might be going through. And instead of discarding your commitment to them, you remain loyal because you've built it on an empathetic connection. Vulnerability, well, empathy is what should be on the receiving end of a vulnerable connection. Someone is vulnerable and they share their true self with you, what they're deeply feeling, something they're uncomfortable about. And instead of analyzing it or trying to find a way to solve the problem for them, you receive it with empathy and openness, understanding. Empathy truly empowers relationships in so many different areas to grow into the healthy relationships that God always intended for us. 
the truth is that these three habits that we've talked about today are hopefully practical applications that you can apply to the relationships in your life. Perhaps you find yourself with relationships that you already have. Maybe it's friendships. Maybe you're in a romantic relationship with someone else. Maybe it's a group of friends, your crew, your community. And hopefully these things are things that you can apply, very practical things to the things around you, the friendships, the relationships that you already have. Why? Because our relationships matter. And if you have some, you should cherish them. They're super important. Uh, The Bible says they will know we are Christians by our love. You see, God is a loving God, but you and I are the messengers. And so the stronger that our relationships are, the clearer that that message comes through. Your relationships matter. They matter to you and they matter to God. So as a community, let's agree to pursue healthy relationships in 2018. Now, research suggests that it takes about 21 days to form a new habit. So what that means is that it might go against your natural inclination as you begin to build that habit. But if you keep doing it, day after day after day, eventually those habits become second nature. They start to become a little more natural. And I promise you, as you begin to put those habits into play in your relationships, you will see them grow healthier. You'll see them grow stronger, more confident, and you'll be amazed at the difference that it makes in your life long term. But maybe you're not in a spot where you have good, meaningful relationships to apply those to, but you'd like to be. Maybe you find yourself this morning nodding along, thinking, yeah, those sound great if I had some relationships to apply them to. Maybe you're lonely. I felt that way before. Maybe you've had trouble finding your tribe, your community, your family. Often our personal relationships can have a heavy relationship with the happiness in our own lives. It's very common. Might I suggest a couple things Consider if you desire healthy relationships, but you've had found yourself having trouble finding them. Perhaps you're looking in the wrong places. Imagine that I leave my house to go pick up groceries for the week, but instead of heading to Safeway or Whole Foods, I walk to Best Buy. Here's the thing it doesn't really matter how loyal or vulnerable or empathetic that I am walking around Best Buy. My grocery shopping trip is going to end in frustration. And it's not Best Buy's fault. In fact, it's nobody's fault. I'm shopping in the wrong place. It's very possible that you're finding yourself frustrated and lonely because you're shopping in the wrong place. If I could offer a suggestion based on my own experiences, I would say that I've never found a better group of friends than I found serving in God's house serving, learning, growing in the local church. If you ask any members of our team, the people walking around with a black and white lanyard, serving on the worship team, greeting outside, ask them who some of their best friends are. I bet you, you would get a list of people that they met serving in church. Some of them in this church, in the last few months, they've met each other. A great way for you to find that tribe is by getting involved in God's house. One of the things that we do here at our church, we don't do very much, we do four things, and one of them is small groups. And that would be a fantastic way to find your tribe. If you've been looking for people, some like-minded friends, some people going through life at the same spot as you, small groups are a fantastic way to do it. Our, Our next season of small groups actually begins at the beginning of February. We've got small groups for all sorts of interests and age groups, and they meet all over the Bay Area. 
In fact, if you're interested in even leading a small group, maybe you have a particular interest you'd like to gather some people around. We have small group leader training this afternoon. We'd love for you to come and sit in, learn about how that works. Anybody can lead a small group. But a small group is a very important way if you wanna get involved in the local church, that is how you can find your community. My wife and I, we believe in small groups. Some of our best friends. <laughs> it makes me emotional because I've seen the impact it's had on my life. If you're looking for friends, a small group is a great way to find them. A second thing that I'd recommend is getting involved with our dream team. These are the people that make church happen on a Sunday morning, that put out all of our communication, that are praying with people midweek, that are leading small groups. Our dream team is an incredible thing. And it's not about accomplishing our dream as a church. In fact, in many ways, it's about accomplishing the dreams that are in your heart. It's about discovering who you uniquely are, who God created you to be, the ways that you can have an impact on the world around you. And when you find yourself in that unique spot where you're serving and making a difference in the world around you, when you look to the left and the right and see the people serving with you, those are the kind of people you'll be with for a long time. You'll find true friends that way, serving on the dream team. It's possible that you've been looking in the wrong places, and I would highly suggest maybe perhaps looking for relationships in the, in the house of God. Or maybe you're having trouble finding healthy relationships because you've anchored yourself in a low tide. What does that mean, anchored yourself in a low tide? You've probably heard the phrase that a rising tide lifts all ships. And I'd say that's especially true in relationships. So let me ask you this question. When a friend gets a promotion at work, is your response, man, I wish I would get a promotion. Or maybe someone in your crew gets a new car and your reaction is something like, oh, must be nice. See, these are, the, these are dead giveaways. You've anchored yourself in low tide. And instead of the rising tide lifting your ship, it's drowning you. Happiness, happiness and success in other people's lives begins to feel like you're taking on water in your own life. It's possible that you've anchored yourself in negativity. If you feel like you are taking on water every time you hear about happiness in other people's lives, this is a good sign that you've anchored your life in low tide. And it's very hard to grow healthy relationships when you're anchored in negativity like that. If that resonates with you, I challenge you to try something. This week, find somebody in life around you who has had something good happen to them and go out of your way to celebrate it. It doesn't matter if you're close friends. Maybe it's just a coworker you don't really know. Maybe it's somebody at work that gets a promotion and you just saw the update email come through. Go celebrate with them. Get them a card, buy them some Starbucks. It's a good habit. Celebrating the people around you, I promise, you'll begin to find that that rising tide starts to lift your ship as well. Not only because good things happen, but because that draws people close to those relationships. We wanna be celebrated. You wanna be celebrated. Be the kind of friend, the kind of person in a relationship that can celebrate others. Or maybe the third option is you're looking for relationships that were never meant to be fulfilled by a person. Perhaps you're expecting something from God, something from people that was always God's job to fulfill. Sir, maybe you're expecting something from your wife that she was never meant to fulfill. Young professional, maybe you were looking for fulfillment from your career that was always designed to come from God. that will have an effect on your relationships. 
It's possible that these three habits we discussed today are also absent in your relationship with God. In fact, it's possible that these very things are what's driving a wedge between you and God. You try to grow closer, but it feels like something's in the way. What about loyalty? How often do we make a commitment to God? We're ready to build this relationship, to grow closer to Him, to learn more about Him, and then life happens. You don't get the promotion. Sickness happens in the family. Friends go through a rough patch. Your marriage is going through a tough time. And your reaction was to disconnect from God. Is it possible that remaining loyal to that original commitment would be the very thing that would help you get through this tough time? Our lack of loyalty in our relationship with God can often stand in the way of the healthy relationship that we desire with God. Or what about vulnerability? It's possible that bringing our true self to God, instead of that, we only approach God with the big things. See, it doesn't matter that you know that I'm going through a tough situation at home. If I don't bring it to you vulnerably and open up a safe space for you to approach me as a friend in that area, it's kind of off limits. And God sees us that same way. It doesn't matter that he knows the things that are going on in our life. He wants us to draw near to him. He wants us to open up in that vulnerable spot and invite him to step into that place in our lives. God wants to be close with you and he wants you to invite him in. Not just for the big things either, for everything. In fact, I was reminded in Philippians 4, it says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God wants to bring peace into your hearts and minds, but it requires us to approach him with vulnerability. And finally, what about empathy? Does God need empathy from us? Well, empathy is more than just understanding what someone else is going through. Oftentimes, empathy is understanding someone else's response to our own life. Have you ever had a tough time in your life and you felt anger or frustration that God wasn't responding or reacting in the way that you asked him to? It's possible that if you look at your relationship with God with an understanding, an empathetic view of his view of us, you might feel differently about the circumstances. Matthew 7 says this, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Friend, I believe that God desires to give good gifts to his children. And if you're not getting the answer that you're asking for, it's very possible that we need to look at the situation with empathy, understanding for how God works, how he says he wants to treat us. If God wants to give good gifts to me, then he must be working on something better than what I asked for. Loyalty, vulnerability, these habits can have a profound impact on our lives, not only in the areas of building meaningful relationships with the people around us, but in building a significant, solid, meaningful, foundational relationship with our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the gift of healthy relationships. God, we believe that you have designed us as relational creatures and that you have 
good gifts in store for us. God, you want the best for us. You want us in friendship. You want us in family. God, you want us in relationship. And so God, we thank you for that incredible gift. And we ask that you would give us strength as we build out those habits, God. We ask that you would encourage us through tough times and let us be those strong relationships for other people that need it most. In your name we pray, amen.